This is AM Rush. I'm your host, Alex Mitchell. Monday, June 1st. This week, we're doing something special on the show. It's going to be focused on the New York City economy, small businesses, and what they can do coming out of coronavirus to stay afloat. Now, today we will be speaking with the presidents of the Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, and Staten Island Chambers of Commerce to learn what they've been doing over the past few weeks on behalf of their small businesses. First, we're speaking with Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce President Randy Pierce. Now, Randy and I spoke just after Governor Cuomo announced that New York State would be reopening. He's going to sound off on what that means for businesses in Brooklyn. We've just gotten word that New York City will begin opening up in a phase one mode over the next few weeks. Going into that, what is the Brooklyn Chamber doing to help businesses prepare? Well, I mean, it's we've been we've been thinking about you know opening uh, for the last couple of weeks now. We've 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 heard uh, signs of, of opening. Uh, one of the things that we've noticed on the ground, just in terms of uh, uh, the businesses that could have remained open uh, because they were uh, either essential businesses uh, like restaurants, uh, some grocery stores, and the like. Uh, we're actually seeing an uptick. We've been seeing an uptick in those businesses restarting uh, over the last three weeks. So. Uh, so people are thinking about reopening. Look, this is a phase one. Uh, it's going to be limited to uh, construction, uh, you know, and manufacturing, wholesale retail, wholesalers. Uh, and, you know, so it's going to be limited in terms of scope. But uh, I think uh, symbolically the rest of the businesses that are still waiting through the other phases uh, are just happy to see that we actually have the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and that businesses are going to start to open, which means, uh, you know, hopefully if we can continue to see the downward trend uh, in the health indicators, uh, then we will see the rest of the businesses open and open up, uh, you know, in the weeks to come. And what kind of resources have been provided for when this when this opening begins for businesses that I can imagine you know, they they feel like they're just without a paddle right now and they don't know yeah. where to go, where to turn to. What is the chamber doing to show them easily and quickly what is available to them when this reopening happens? Well, easily and quickly, I don't think I would describe it that way. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, the issue of resources uh, came up well in advance of uh, businesses uh, restarting and reopening. And and I say that because the CARES Act programs, uh, particularly the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, both of those uh, federal government programs administered by SBA, uh, you know, on the financial side, those were the two signature programs that businesses were looking uh, towards uh, in order to give them uh, the resources they need uh, to bring back their employees, to purchase inventory, and to just kind of get back into, uh, you know, restart uh, of their of their businesses. Now, for New York, the programs themselves, it was all about timing, right? So, you know, in, in, in other parts of the country where they're well ahead of us in terms of the reopening, uh, paycheck protection uh, made sense, right? It, it required you to bring back your uh, existing complement of employees, you know, your pre-COVID complement of employees. It covered 75% of those uh, those personnel costs. 
Uh, and the timing was right because they were just coming out of the, the crisis. They were starting to roll up their gates and open their doors, uh, and they were going to begin generating revenue. New York, it was a different story, right? I mean, we, uh, we, we are just reopening now. And if you, if you know the Paycheck Protection Program, um, you know, that, that program the, needed to be, you know, the, the, it was only an eight-week expenditure, uh, and you needed to uh, secure the Paycheck Protection Program loan prior to June 30th. Uh, so you had to expend those, those, uh, um, those loan amounts uh, on payroll, uh, you know, prior to the end of June. Uh, and it went out eight months. So, I mean, eight weeks. So, you know, for our businesses, uh, they might have gotten a paycheck protection program in round one, more likely in round two, uh, but they were concerned about using it. The other issue uh, was that um, for a place like New York, where you had high rent costs um, and, high o- and higher overhead costs than in other parts of the country, only 25% of the paycheck protection program uh, loan funds could be used for rent and other types of overhead. So, uh, so you know, quite honestly, there was a there was certainly a disconnect uh, in terms of what those loan funds could be used for and what New York businesses needed them uh, in advance of reopening. But be that as it may, um, you know, businesses did secure funding in the second round, uh, and uh, they they hopefully have used that money to bring back their employees. Uh, what some of the businesses may have discovered is that it wasn't easy to get their employees to come back on payroll. And I say that because, um, you know, if they had been furloughed or laid off uh, early on in the crisis, uh, they might be receiving unemployment insurance at this point in time. And, and as you uh, as you probably know, Alexander, the unemployment insurance, uh, if you add in the, uh, the, uh, the additional pandemic unemployment insurance amount, uh, you know, it's 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 over a thousand dollars a week that uh, that workers are receiving on unemployment. So, so there's the there's this wage floor that you need to meet in order to just get uh, to get your employees back. In other cases, you know, employees may have moved on. Uh, you know, they may have moved out of New York City. They may have gone elsewhere. They may have reunited with family uh, somewhere else. And and uh, you know, so hopefully, uh, businesses are are first and foremost in advance of the restart, uh, securing back their their employees because they're going to need uh, their uh, hardest working, most skilled employees just to get things back, back in order. Um, you know, the, the, the second thing that uh, the businesses need to uh, think through as well as uh, kind of work on is just what are, uh, what's the PPE equipment that they need to secure uh, personal protection equipment uh, for their for their workers, depending upon uh, the type of industry, uh, as well as the physical uh, layout uh, of their location, if um, if that applies, right? So, you know, how are they going to ensure social distancing? How are they going to, you know, put up uh, sneeze guards and other uh, barriers in order to prevent? Uh, you know, that type of interaction. Uh, how are they going to procure the masks and the hand sanitizers and the gloves that they need uh, in order to, uh, to get their workers, to keep their workers safe and healthy? Um, you know, th- one of the things that the Chamber has done is we've been working with local manufacturers that are actually producing PPE uh, equipment. So we have a list on our COVID-19 uh, resources page, which you can find that at brooklynchamber.com. Um, and we keep an up, uh, updated list of uh, who's you know producing PPE locally, uh, and our hope is that 
uh, businesses as they start to reopen uh, will seek to procure locally, right? Um, and, you know, if we can help make that match, uh, that's part of our mission uh, and our mandate. We had a lot of manufacturers, for example, uh, that repurposed their production in order to make PPE. Uh, and that's great. And we, uh, you know, we have some great success stories out of the Port Navy Yard and in other places uh, where businesses did that. Uh, so our job now is to really help uh, small businesses sort of navigate that marketplace so that they could access the safety equipment that they need uh, in order to keep their employees healthy and safe uh, and their business safe. Um, is it is it is it going to be easy? Uh, I don't think it's easy um, in terms of hard resources. Uh, you know, are there still uh, programs that businesses can access if they need financial support? Uh, there's actually still um, CDFIs, community development financial institutions, that are uh, processing PPP applications. So uh, if you were one of those businesses that held off applying, uh, but now you, you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you can anticipate reopening in the next couple of weeks, uh, I, would, I would encourage those businesses to reach out to the Brooklyn Chamber uh, through our COVID-19 resources page, and we can link you with uh, a bank or a CDFI that is still processing uh, PPP uh, applications. The other good thing I'll say um, is that Congress... Uh, or at least the House has just passed some changes uh, to the Paycheck Protection Program that are going to make them much more user-friendly for New York businesses. So, for example, they're going to reduce the amount that has to be spent on payroll from 75% uh, to 60%, uh, which means that uh, a greater percentage, 40%, can be used for uh, other overhead. Uh, so that change is hopefully going to happen. Hopefully the Senate, uh, on their end, will adopt uh, a similar bill, uh, and they'll work it out in conference. So, uh, but there are still uh, paycheck protection program uh, 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 applications being processed. There are still banks and CDFIs that are still uh, doing that work. There's still money available. Uh, so that uh, that I would encourage businesses to consider. Um, you know, in terms of best practices, uh, you know, we uh, we just did a webinar on, uh, you know, best practices with respect to hiring your employees. Uh, we did that uh, this past Tuesday. Uh, We're going to be doing another one next week. Uh, and I should have gotten this information before I got on the call here. But um, I think it's next Wednesday or Thursday. We're doing one specifically just on health and safety precautions uh, as you reopen your businesses. So, um uh, you know, we're, we're doing our part to try and get as much information out there about best practices uh, as we can uh, in terms of the restart. To go back to what you were saying about the Brooklyn Navy Yard, we actually did a show a few weeks ago on the Brooklyn Navy Yard and PPE production there. And I find it fascinating that at the time of World War II, Brooklyn was known as the workforce hub for the war effort. And now Brooklyn, again, is being known as the workforce hub for the health effort or the war on coronavirus, if you want to call it. So seeing that again, it, it is inspiring to realize that some things are timeless and that's something Brooklyn has to be very, very proud of. And I'm confident that you guys will do what you can to take care of the businesses what, yeah. in there. Yeah, Alexander, one other thing. And, you know, so... Like I said, our, our role will be to try and, and help make the match between suppliers and producers of PPE and businesses that need them. But 
my biggest concern is, you know, the really small businesses throughout Brooklyn neighborhoods that, uh, you know, won't be able to afford uh, necessarily large quantities of PP, PPE uh, or may not even know what they're going to need. So uh, so one of the things that the chamber is doing currently uh, is um, is we're trying to secure uh, as much donated PPP items, uh, PPE, I'm sorry, we're going to get Paycheck Protection Program confused with personal protection equipment, uh, but PPE, uh, producers and suppliers, we're trying to get as much of uh, donated materials as we can, the chamber, uh, and, and, and distribute those uh, to those businesses that really can't afford, uh, especially during restart because they don't have excess capital uh, to work with, uh, to, so we'll be able to distribute those donations uh, to these really small businesses in need. Uh, so we want to serve as the hub uh, for those types of donations. Uh, you may know this, we on the financial side, we launched uh, through our CDFI a crowdfunding campaign uh, called the Bring Back Brooklyn Fund. Uh, that's about raising money for uh, no interest, zero interest loans, recovery loans for small businesses that can't secure financial um, resources elsewhere. In other words, can't, can't get commercial loans or maybe didn't get a PP, uh, PPP. Uh, but, uh, but in addition to that, we've got this effort to try and secure donated uh, personal protection equipment uh, so that no business uh, goes without uh, when they, when, once they reopen their doors. And that's really, really, really important because you know, some of these businesses are, are just really small neighborhood businesses that, that just don't have access to, 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 uh, to deep resources, uh, may not have the information, uh, and we want to be there to, to serve as that, uh, as that hub so that they, too, um, can ensure that their employees and their customers uh, and their facility uh, is safe and ready to go. Uh, clearly, there's uh, so much advocation to help the smallest of the small business community in Brooklyn. And uh, Randy, once again, thank you for coming on AM Rush. Before I let you go, is there anything else that you want to tell me about what the Chamber is doing or what the future is going to look like, concerns that you see upcoming and things that people can do now to prepare for the upcoming weeks and phases in the reopening? So tune in. So our uh, envisioning reopening webinar is uh, next week, Thursday at 2 p.m. Uh, just go on uh, brooklynchamber.com, our COVID-19 resources page, to get more information and register. Uh, hopefully we get, our panelists will give you some practical tips about uh, deep cleaning your sites and personal protection equipment and what you need to know uh, in terms of spacing and, and things like that. So please, uh, please tune in next week. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll end with this, Alexander. Look, it's, this is an unprecedented uh, uh, situation. And, you know, we, people have, have tried to draw analogies to things that may have happened uh, in the past. Uh, you know, whether it's 9-11, whether it's Superstorm Sandy, whether it was the Great Recession. You know, the reality is those were, were point-in-time disasters. Uh, we, we knew as soon as they were done we needed to rebuild uh, we assessed the damage uh, pretty pretty readily, and we moved forward. Uh, I think the the big un, the big unknown here, uh, and the biggest concern for me, 
um, is the, the, you know, just, just being shut down for, for more than two months, you know, closing down most of your economy, what's going to be the lasting impact, right? So even if we get businesses that can reopen their doors and can start to, to generate revenue, uh, you know, what is that, you know, like, what's going to be the, what is going to be the, the, the near term, uh, and then the long term impact? Uh, they may be able to open their doors, but, you know, consumer, uh, customer choices may change. Uh, people may still be concerned about health issues. So, you know, there's a lot for them to think through. Uh, and, you know, just because you could open your doors doesn't mean you're out of the woods. So, you know, we as a community, uh, uh we need to work together. Uh, if we really want to save uh, our small business ecosystem here in New York, uh, you know these are the these are the everyday businesses that we use and we care about, right? From our our dry cleaner and our daycare centers uh, to our bodegas and our restaurants and our bars uh, and our hair salons and nail salons, right? I mean these are these are the things we may have taken for granted, uh, and these are the things that make neighborhoods special. Uh, but as a community. We need to say, hey, look, we care about these businesses. They're the lifeblood of our neighborhoods. They employ more than 50% of New Yorkers. So what can we do in order to support them? We could shop local. Uh, we can give them the moral support they need. Uh, and as a chamber of commerce, you know, we could be the hub uh, for them to access information and resources uh, as they, uh, they finally get to reopen their doors. As if you needed any more of a reason to... Spend in Brooklyn. Brooklyn has some of the most incredible restaurants, incredible places to go, cultural institutions, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, to draw another parallel to the early world wars, back then there was victory gardens to to mm. win the war effort, and now it seems like there is a another victory shopping effort now to support small businesses and, and to get through this crisis and and help as many businesses that you can. And I think right now more than ever shopping small, shopping locally, providing resources, that is the most and some of the most critical things that we can all do, even if it's shopping online. Yeah. Here, here. I'm with you, Alexander. (laughs) Well, Randy, thanks so much for coming on AM rush. We should definitely touch base in the upcoming weeks to see how things are going. And I would look forward to having you on again. Great. Happy to be here, and thank you for the time. Of course. Thank you. Now we're going up to the Bronx and speaking with Bronx Chamber of Commerce President Lisa Soren, talking about online and other resources that the Bronx Chamber has put forth to help their businesses. Lisa, it's been a difficult time for everyone, of course, and small businesses have taken really the brunt of the economic impact of coronavirus. I understand that you and the Bronx Chamber of Commerce are working on using online resources to help small businesses. Talk a little bit about that. Hi, and thank you so much. I appreciate being here with you today. So we have tried, we as the chamber have been really dipping our hands into a lot of areas that we know can assist our businesses. In doing so, we realized that the amount of information is so much and so and changes almost on an hourly or uh, minute by minute basis that we decided to put together a Bronx 
page, landing page that provides all the resources, including some of our partner banks that are providing services that can help our small businesses. So that's the bxbizcovidresource.com. Uh, and on that, it's in partnership with uh, various things. So one of them has been the original Bronx Coalition, as I like to call it, is the Bronx Chamber of Commerce in partnership with eight businesses improvement districts in the Bronx who have said we're going to work collaboratively to make sure that all the areas of the Bronx are covered. And so um, those eight bids, along with us, we have been working and doing webinars and informational projects. We also developed a form, an intake form, that businesses can fill out, and then that will determine what type of services the businesses may need. And that turned into us adding an additional page, which is a Bronx Biz uh, COVID resources. Um, and that was with the assistance um, and the knowledge of the Yankees who understand the challenges on small business, especially as it relates to surrounding some of the areas around the courthouse and where their stadium. And so, and that was the big issue. The issue was how do we get information into the hands of our, and I will use Councilman Joe and I's words, our micro businesses. Um, because small business, as you may know, um, are usually, you know, 500 and under, 100 and under. And that's the definition of what small business, but for the Bronx, that's not our numbers. Our numbers are usually 20 and under, 10 and under. And so, um, I like to refer to them as micro businesses. So this page came from that. The page comes from the daily Zoom meetings, the collaborations with our other businesses, and our collaborations with my colleagues in the other boroughs, the chambers, working collectively to try to put all the information into one place um, in hopes that we can provide the Bronx the services they need because at the end of the day, the Bronx, again, has become the the least remembered borough. Um, and, I'm in, and it's not a pointing of fingers. I think it's the idea that we need to change the narrative of our borough and that we have a strong commercial corridors. The challenge has been how to get the information into the hands of our businesses and how do we have enough partnerships to offer those services and that's what this coalition came from that's where the resource page came from and then i'll add one more bit um because i love to talk so i apologize um so it is the fact that thanks to the partnership with the yankees and them giving us ideas as how to put together this landing page and their offer to do a media uh, press on this landing page. They have also um, put us in communication with Arnold and Porter, which is, I believe, the third largest law firm in the country who is providing pro bono services to our businesses that need the help, well, which is a icing on the cake for us. To go back to one thing you said, as if you didn't need another reason to love the New York Yankees, it's incredible to see them come through for small businesses in the Bronx. I know that 
this isn't the first time that they've done that. When a few months ago, when the shops on River Avenue were in trouble with losing their licensing, the Yankees advocated for them. They've always been supportive of small businesses. And at a time when the chips are really down, it's great to see them come through. And what you guys are doing to spread the word out there is so, so pivotal. To go back to what you were saying about changing the narrative, coming out of this conflict with coronavirus, what is the first step to change that narrative about the Bronx? I believe that the first change is that just because the borough continues to be labeled as the lowest or the poorest congressional districts or having the highest impact of COVID does not change the fact that the Bronx is the little engine that could and we were and will continue to be on this upward mobile advancement. And COVID has put a major stumbling block, not just for us, but across um, this city and the country. But I think that the change has to be twofold. One is a better collaboration with our city government and our state government to understand that the challenges in every borough has its own challenges. And the Bronx's challenge is... um, the inability to be able to have a bigger reach because we have such so many small commercial corridors that it makes it very difficult to do a complete outreach, right? So what may work for other boroughs does not necessarily work for the Bronx. And second, I think that it has to be a pro-movement on behalf of the businesses, to not fall into the, oh, it's because we're in the Bronx, it's being proactive. The leadership of our Bronx delegation and the leadership of this entity, the Bronx Coalition of the Eight Business Improvement Districts and the Bronx Chamber, we want to for the businesses and the borough to know we're here to yell and scream on your behalf. We will only know how much you need if you reach out to us and we assist you in making that happen. So the narrative is we are no longer the poor little borough in the corner. We are active. We are proactive. Um, We have our challenges. That's not going to be an overnight fix. But I think that what COVID has brought to the forefront on a different level is we are no longer just going to sit by and let the 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 way the borough is looked upon the same way we're now yelling from the rooftops to say the bronx needs assistance we're going to do our part we've got a collaboration a coalition of people of leaders that are willing to work and we're not going to be the victims anymore right we're no longer victims we are um up and moving. We've got a strong partnership with, um, like I said, the bids and the delegation. Um, 
And the narrative has to be that the Bronx is an incredible borough to continue to do business. And our goal for the next year, year and a half, is to make sure that whatever businesses were lost, that we work our hardest, get the, get them back in. So when we begin that um, push back up that, that hill, those businesses will take that ride with us. And then new ones will join. As you know, I got my start at the Bronx Times in a few years ago. And I think the way you say that it is the little engine that could or the little train that could, that is so true. There is, and I can say this from personal experience just as you can, there is a fight, there is a resiliency in that borough that you just don't see in other places. And I'm confident with the right assets provided to the Bronx, it can succeed and it can shine and I'm going to echo that and applaud that statement. I think that, you know, every borough has its challenges. And But I'll tell you that there's a sense of passion for the Bronx, in the Bronx. Um, and, you know, not to sound overdramatic, but the Bronx really is a fun, creative, welcoming Borough that offers a little bit of everything and then some. Um, and we are getting to, for other people to understand that the issues of COVID have smeared that a little bit, you know, by showcasing the fact that um, the minority, or as I like to call them, majorities, are being the most impacted for many reasons, right? Because the challenges don't change about the housing issues and the challenges don't change about the health, um, the access to proper health care and so on and so forth. But I think that what COVID has done, I think to, to repeat what you're saying, the passion of the Bronx is different this time around. It's not, we're going to sit down and be like, oh my God, woe is me. It is no, we, we're going to do this, and it's probably going to be the last time people look at us as a borough to say, um, oh, that borough. You know, we are not that borough. We are the borough. Um, and so that's, that's I think, the, the, the added energy that we're seeing here in the Bronx. And it really is a, a very cool thing to see um, that – I think there was a, for a long time in my 30 plus years of being in the borough, um, very, um, divi- I'm not even going to say divided, I, clusters of people and in, in information, right? And you had, it was a division of neighborhoods. And what I'm seeing now is the Bronx as a whole, which is a really nice story. It is no longer the South Bronx, East Bronx. It's the Bronx. Um, And the work that's being done is for the Bronx. And yes, some neighborhoods are being hit harder than others. um, But there's more people to assist than there were in the past. Well, Lisa, before I let you go, and again, like you're echoing what I'm saying, I've seen for myself everything you're saying is true. The Bronx just has a fight in it, and there is an innate sense of unity that I haven't seen in other places. And I'm confident that 
the Bronx will find a way out of this hole as they have in the past and come back bigger, better, and stronger than ever. Before I let you go, is there anything else going on uptown that you want to talk about? Yeah, I really, I think I need to reemphasize the fact that we are offering a lot of free services to our businesses. We, anything from legal to, to partnerships with banks to resources of generous donors through the Bronx.org. Um, the Bronx has their resources and I'm encouraging and yelling from the rooftops the fact that we are here to assist. And when we come through this dark period, it is important that people shop, eat everything in their backyard. Let's, let's go to our borough businesses so that they survive and grow. And I think that's, that's the, the one thing. Keep it local. More than anything, let's keep it local to make sure that every single business who's been hit hard can come back. Well, Lisa, if you ever need someone to compile a list of places to eat in the Bronx, I'm your guy for that. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. I may, I may need to contact you to try out all those places, yes, I and do. then we can share it out with everybody else. In the name of ethical and honest journalism, I think that that is the best approach to take. But on a serious note, I've eaten, I've gotten to review and write about so many places in the Bronx, so many eateries, so many restaurants that really are something else. And it's not what you would get in Midtown. It's not what you would get in downtown Brooklyn, but it is its own identity. And it is so darn good. And what makes it so good is that you know you can't get it in Midtown or downtown Brooklyn. You have to go to the Bronx to get this. You have to go to the Bronx to get New York City's best burger, which is Milk Burger in Mott Haven. And I've been very open about saying that. Without a doubt, you have some amazing... you know, you have your, your your Cuban restaurants. You have your little, beautiful, little, delicious restaurants in the corners of Middletown. Um, you know, Morris Park has some amazing. I mean, I oh, can go course. down the list and tell you that um, we have some amazing food. And uh, my figure speaks to the fabulous food of the Bronx because that's where I spend my money. No matter what neighborhood you're in. That, that's the thing, is that you go to Belmont, you're set with Little Italy, and you're set with all the Italian food. You go somewhere like Wakefield, and you're getting amazing Caribbean food. Even in Throg's Neck, of course, you have uh, tons of Italian food, but you get that Cuban fusion in places like Havana Cafe, and, oh, it's it's everywhere you go, and, uh, and Bistro and Bricks and Hops. The people oh, may not delicious. know this. Yeah, no, I get passionate about this because people should know about what the Bronx is offering. And one of those places, a Super Bowl champion who grew up in the Bronx, Willie Colon, opened a beer garden in Mahi. Yes, absolutely. And there's a wonderful martini, chocolate martini bar that's going to be coming that started in Puerto Rico. Uh, Chocolate Cortes um, for our Spanish-speaking um, uh, families out there, and I recommend the world come to and 
their drinks are with chocolate, their foods and appetizers are with chocolate, like nothing you've ever tasted in your life. And they're going to be making the Bronx their home also. So the Bronx is definitely the place to come and eat (laughs) and exercise and live and work. How's that? (laughs) Absolutely. But you have the food first. That's what sucks you in. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Lisa, we love it. I think we definitely should do our next interview over lunch. I think that that's fitting. I happen to think that's the best idea. We can, you know, literally prove what we're saying. Absolutely. And I've been, again, I've been proud to write about not just the Bronx business, but the food in particular, because in a way we have an obligation to let the world know what's out there. Agree. And, and the, um, the, the, the value and the quality and um, the taste, the flavor in our restaurants cover the flavor of what our borough is. And then you add the cultural institutions and the museums and, and our parks. Um, I don't know. Personally, I happen to think there's no other borough better than the Bronx. Um, and I'm blessed to be a part of it, as I'm sure everybody who lives here feels the same way. Of course, the Bronx is so one of a kind. Lisa, thank you for coming on. I wish you the best of luck with everything you're doing thank to you. help out the borough, and I'm sure you'll be back on AM Rush before you know it. I really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Good luck with everything. Take care. And over on Staten Island, many businesses are frustrated that they have not been able to reopen yet. We're going to talk to Staten Island Chamber of Commerce President Linda Barron about that and other issues on her mind when it comes to reopening and what could be done. Linda, it seems like there is frustration and concern on the side of businesses on Staten Island as it comes to reopening. What's going on there? Well, Alex, um, I think that, you know, we're at a tipping point. You know, a lot of businesses have really... uh, tried to manage uh, whether they had to close or, or partially open at this point in time. And I think that, you know, they're really struggling at this. They're really struggling now. They're trying to figure out how they're going to manage. And there's a lot of uncertainty out there about specifically when they'll be able to open. So I think, you know, it, you know, inside of the fact that there's been limited communication, um, you know, the governor has put up phased in approach um, for all of the counties of the state and metrics for that. But when it comes to New York City, um, we have not been notified yet. And, you know, the longer this takes, the more businesses are in jeopardy. And I think that's what we're seeing now. You know, most of our businesses in the chamber, you know, Paramount is safety. Paramount is making sure that they take care of their employees, their customers. Many of their employees are family members. Um, but at this point, you know, they're looking at their livelihoods and they're, and they're trying to figure out how am I going to manage. They've saved for that rainy day, but that rainy day has passed and they've basically gone through all of their funds. We, we did a survey and we had about 30% of the survey respondents said that they lost between $100,000 and $600,000. And these are small businesses, like under five employees, just in the month of April. So we're starting to see people just really uh, want to open so that they can, you know, start making money again. And then they, they're really uncertain about what that brings, whether customers were comfortable, you know, coming into the stores. They're, you know, they're uncomfortable about, you know, the whole aspect of, you know, whether they'll be able to survive in, in, in this new environment. So really the air of uncertainty more than anything is looming over businesses and concerning businesses. And in the phases of reopening, 
I imagine that the small businesses, which I presume make up the heart of the Staten Island economy, there must be that element of frustration seeing places like Home Depot being able to open and other larger retail chains being able to operate even though they cannot open yet and there's just the uncertainty of what happens even when they can open. Right, and and I've heard that over and over again. You know, why do these larger chains, why are they able to open uh, specifically, you know, the Home Depots of the world, places like that? You know, smaller businesses feel that uh, they're more responsible. They, they, you know, they, they, they're family-run businesses. They want to take care of everybody. So they, they, you know, they're like, why aren't we allowed? Why, don't, why aren't we trusted to open our business and make those decisions? You know, they, they feel that there's less opportunity uh, for exposure, you know, if they know that they're cleaning their shop and they're limited to people coming in and all of that. And they, they feel there's more exposure in some of these larger stores. So there's frustration there, um, you know, in terms of that. Now, what action have you and the Staten Island Chamber taken to help or just aid or push small business through to to get through this? Well, I mean, in the beginning, we started uh, to get a lot of information about about the grant and loan programs that were available, uh, the PPP program, the idle, some of the uh, the philanthropic loans that were available. Um, you know, but a lot of that fell short. I mean, a lot of it was based on payroll. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, when businesses can't get back up and running again to bring back employees and pay them for a, a short period of time, and then having to let them go, and then when you have unemployment, that's paying you know an additional six hundred dollars per week. The employees don't want to come back, so you know that has that has proved not to be helpful uh, for many businesses. So, and a lot of businesses leered away from that. The idle loans have been held up. People have gotten some deposits, but they haven't actually gotten their loans verified. Um, you know, so you know people were looking for access to capital. Um, you know, we were referring them to their local lenders because that was their best bet to have a conversation with anybody. Uh, we answered a lot of questions about unemployment insurance, shared work program, uh, but now we've really been pivoting. To the reopening and trying to give guidance on, you know, a lot of questions are coming in around what type of business, uh, what category they fall under under the governor's phase in approaches. Um, you know, some of that information, they just released phase two information last night. Uh, a lot of people have questions about that. I understand they halted phase two uh, last night upstate New York. So I think that's going to cause a lot of concern downstate because if they're slowing things up upstate, you know, people will be concerned that things will be happening slower downstate. So uh, right now, what we've done is we've actually started a petition and we've joined on with uh, quite a number of business groups uh, here on Staten Island, uh, you know, talking about, you know, the, 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 um, the struggles that businesses are having, the fact that they want to open up. And we're really calling on the governor and the mayor to, to listen and, and, and hear us because, um, you know, businesses feel that, you know, they have, uh, yes, their livelihoods at stake, but they feel that they should be trusted to take care of their employees and their customers, especially the smallest, because they know their neighborhoods more than anybody else. Talking about one industry in specific, which of course affects Staten Island as well as the rest of New York City, is the food and dining industry. 
Yes. And they've been hit the hardest. I mean, you know, unfortunately for, you know, small restaurants, um, you know, originally they were closed. You know, first it was limited capacity and then they wound up being closed and they were able to, to, some of them could pivot easily to do pickup and delivery, but a lot, you know, struggled with that initially. And you're seeing more and more people come online to do that, but that isn't the be all and end all. I mean, a lot of them are, are barely surviving doing that. And they've have to, they've had to let a lot of their people go and some of their waiters became drivers and have left shifts chefs in the kitchen and and now their concern is when they reopen what is that capacity allowance going to be you know most of them are saying that you know they really need you know 72 100 percent i mean to survive and and even with that you know they're unclear about the you know how how customers will feel coming in and, and whether that you know those numbers are going to decrease and how it's going to affect their bottom line um you know the cost of doing business in new york city before this happened was tough you know they had very slim profit margins so so, and now all of a sudden with all of this, you know, the, the, their customer base has been decreased tremendously. And then on top of that, they still have their fixed expenses, uh, you know, and they, they really are just, you know, hanging on by a thread. When restaurants are allowed to reopen at a reasonable capacity that would be viable for their businesses, what could be done to help the service industry following the COVID pandemic? Well, I, I know that the city council right now and the mayor, uh, you know, there's been a lot of push from the industry to uh, support sidewalk cafes and and, uh, and do a little bit more so people can, uh, you know, expand outdoors. Um, so I think that's one area. I think also, you know, the rules and regulations, uh, all of these regulations that they have on businesses through the health department and various agencies really need to be lifted. They really need to put a moratorium on a lot of these things because, you know, the, 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 the city is going to have to work hand in hand with businesses to help them survive. I mean, we really have at a point where, and, and that's the, the problem here is, is the urgency uh, of this is, is paramount, you know, to get these businesses back up and running again, because every day that we, that we stay closed, you know, is a business in jeopardy of not reopening. And when you look at the food industry, like you're saying about how the city is trying to do more outdoor seating, outdoor dining, Given the landscape of Staten Island, that it's so different than the other boroughs, is it more practical on Staten Island, do you see, for more places to be able to have legitimate space to have more outdoor seating that even if it's not a perfect solution, it's at least something? Yeah. I mean, it needs to be strategic. You know, Staten Island does have a lot more open space than other boroughs. Um, you know, some restaurants have asked me if they could use their parking lots. I haven't heard much on that yet, whether the city will consider something like that, because, we, you know, as you know, everybody on Staten Island drives. So, you know, so so the parklets, which are in front of the businesses on, on smaller thoroughfares, you know, they'll be helpful, but also they'll take away parking, which is a concern. So I think we need to be strategic about you know, are there smaller streets in, in, in certain neighborhoods that we could close off? Are there areas that are more conducive uh, than others? You know, is there areas that can be shared? I, I think there needs to be an inventory of what's out here. But, you know, we do have opportunities, you know, even to partner with the community on community space. Um, you know, but again, that takes a lot of work on, on the part of the restaurant if they're not operating, you know, directly on site. I, I can't even imagine how... Yeah, I can't either. I it can't either. Be. And again, as if it was a walk in the park to manage and operate a small business in New York before this happened, too. Mm-hmm. 
Is there anything else going on, any other major concerns on your mind or any other initiatives that are going to be put in place or pushed for in the next couple of weeks on your end? I mean, I think that, you know, we were involved in some conversations on workforce support, you know, subsidizing uh, some some uh, hirings um, within businesses, some training within businesses. I think uh, some of the, you know, access to capital, I think, is going to be important. You know, low interest rate loans, if people are, you know, it's going to take a while for people to come back from this. This was quite a hit. So I think that there are a lot of different things out there. We're going to have to be creative about how we support these businesses and, you know, be flexible. Um, You know, and I think there's a lot of innovation for businesses that we're going to see. I mean, we saw a lot of people that, you know, never had an online shop before. You know, so e-commerce is something that we're going to see a lot more of, you know, the pickup and delivery. You know, fine dining is going to be something of the past is what I'm hearing, Um, you know, but all of these different things, you know, even in terms of generalizing for businesses in general, you know, all everybody has gotten, you know, on Zoom and and is dealing with all of these different platforms. So, you know, I think that technology and and just, you know, I I also going back to what you had uh, talked about, you know, with the, uh, the open spaces, I know that the Hospitality Alliance just did some, you know, drawings and schematics of, of what things could look like. You know, and, and, you know, we're going to see a lot of changes in the layouts of businesses. So, you know, I think as a chamber of commerce, you know, one thing that, you know, I'd like to say on this broadcast is that, you know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, how uh, connected chambers of commerce are to all of the resources that there are throughout the city, whether they are private uh, or, or city or on a, you know, at a state or federal level. And, you know, we really uh, point uh, businesses in the right direction. We provide a lot of education. If you're a small business and you're not connected to a chamber, a lot of the chambers now are offering a free, uh, complimentary uh, membership, um, you know, just to support the smallest of small businesses that don't typically join chambers of commerce. We would really like to get more engaged with our local businesses, you know, that are struggling and, and let them know that we're here because, you know, in, in, in the case of the chamber, you know, the, the economy needs to prosper and we need to be inclusive as possible. This is uh, this is a tough one to swallow. It certainly is. There's no doubt about it. But of course, we're all pulling for the best future possible for New York City's business community, particularly the small businesses. Linda, thank you so much for coming on AM Rush today. We will certainly follow up on what's going on and if there is a way, particularly for restaurants, to have streets closed off or have open space and and be as creative as possible. So I'll definitely be following up with you on this over the summer months because I don't know about you, but I just, I would not mind going out to a delicious restaurant and having just a nice chicken parm with a side of penne. I, I miss that. I, I need that. And for people listening, where are some go-to places on Staten Island where when they can go out to eat, when they come to Staten Island, where should they know to go? Oh, we have a lot of great places. I said, I'm going to get me in trouble now because if I mention one over the other, but, uh, you know, some of my favorites, Trattoria Romana for Italian food, um, is a gentleman named uh, Julian Gattali. He, he, he runs uh, Blue Bio and Beso. Um, you know, uh, there's some uh, 
really nice places like the Stone House. But, you know, we have great pizza, great Italian food. But, you know, we have Sri Lankan restaurants. What I would say is go to the Chamber Directory on SICHamber.com and we'll, we'll, you know, you can see all the wonderful restaurants that we have here on Staten Island. And that website is SICHamber.com? Yep. Absolutely. Well, I will also check it out because I can't wait to get back out there myself. Yeah, and we do have a lot of open space out here. So for people booking to social distance, you know, there's wonderful parks. So once, once we're allowed to get out to some of these areas, we have a nice walking boardwalk. Uh, you know, a lot of good things here to do on Staten Island. So, you know, we're hoping uh, that, you know, things will start to open up and that, you know, uh, that uh, people people also need to take responsibility and wear their masks and make sure that, you know, they're doing their part. So if the business community can partner with the, the residents and, and the, the tourists, um, you know, hopefully we can get through this. And, you know, as you know, uh, New York City has been through a lot, you know, between Superstorm Sandy, 9-11, you know, uh, that, you know, the market crash, everything. So, you know, and we've always been able to come through. So hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get through this as well. And, and, and hopefully it will make us stronger in the long run. A silver lining is perhaps that when all of this is truly said and done, we come out healthier and are taking better safety protocols that, in a larger perspective, end up saving lives. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Linda, I can't thank you enough again for coming on AM Rush. We'll certainly be talking more in the future. All right, Alex. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You take care now. And now we're going to talk to the Queen's Chamber of Commerce president, Tom Gretsch, who's going to talk about not just what's going on in Queens, but for the restaurant industry and what can be done to help out the service industry coming out of this. Tom, of course, things have not taken a turn the way that many New Yorkers were anticipating over the past couple of months. What I want to ask you is... What's been going on in Queens? What's been the worst part of it? Um, there's been a couple of different things that have been, been discouraging but are, are, are trending better. Um, I think the worst part of it was just the fact that we, um, we're we in danger of losing thousands and thousands of businesses in Queens County if we don't open soon. Um, by most estimates, people I've talked to, uh, real estate uh, owners, landlord landlords, property owners, property managers – um, up to half of the 6,000 Queens-based restaurants may never see the light of day again, which is very troubling on many fronts. Restaurants are the fabric of our community. Restaurants and places like that um, drive commerce in many different ways. It would be a, a huge loss to our community. If those restaurants close, um, the challenge is going to be to keep get those people to get reemployed that lose their jobs. Um, the other part about it is is that the initial response um, was chaotic from both the feds, the state, and the city. Um, and uh, it, like I said, it's gotten better; it's trending better. But it was a very, very difficult uh, April. Was especially bad. I used to live in Astoria. I can tell you every great pizza place around there and sure. all, all the great food. I can vouch. Queens does have uh, some of the city's most phenomenal food, and it would be devastating to see so many restaurants of so many different cuisines go under. What has the chamber been doing to help out restaurants at this time? The chamber's working on a plan in anticipation of our opening around June 15th, um, and it's not a secret yet, but we're trying to 
put all the final touches to it so we can have a launch in the next week or so. But beyond that, we kind of did three, I think, critical things. Um, and that was um, outreach, action, and then uh, connectivity with our electeds. So on the outreach side, we, uh, we called every single one of our um, 1,500, 1,150 Queens Chamber members and just checked in. How are you? Are things okay? How's business? But we touched every single one of our 1,150 members trying to find out what do you need? Have your hours changed? What resources do you have? Are you pivoting in any way? Whatever the questions were, we just wanted to make sure that we were a soothing voice there for support. And that yielded a whole bunch of different answers. Um, things like changing their hours. Some companies that were doing delivery for goods and services, packages, pivoted to just delivering food. Um, and we advertised that as such. They weren't making the same amount of money they made before, but they were they were employing people and they were doing very well. Um, other people were changing their hours, pivoting to just takeout. So it, it came to us with so many restaurants doing takeout that we put together a website called queensbest.org. Um, and that allowed people to go online and see what was available for takeout. The very first week we had like 6,500 hits. And we continue to keep that thing populated with restaurants that add more hours, um, changing in dynamics regarding the takeout, whether there's alcohol involved and so on. Very, very successful, and the restaurants seem to love it. The other thing that we did, which was really kind of cool, was we um, used a, a partner group um, called um, eGifter, and we set up a, 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 a website within our own website uh, uh, under the name of Operation Main Street. So for Operation Main Street, um, it allowed people to buy at no cost and no fees uh, gift cards for uh, the restaurants of Queens County. Very, very successful. The other piece that we did was outreach. So we, um, we worked with all of the local officials. We had not one but two different town halls with the entire Queens congressional delegation led by Congressman Greg Meeks. We did an outreach with all the local Queens-based Senate and Assembly leaders for a virtual Queens Day in Albany, which we've had for three years running. Uh, and they all attended, all the Senate and all the, all the Assembly members from Queens County. And then we also had a, um, a virtual town hall led by Karen Koslowitz, who is the dean of the Queens um, City Council delegation with almost all of the Queens City Council uh, members uh, and a very, very nice event where we just we shared our concerns. They shared their concerns. They shared some of the things they're working on to help small business a very, very positive thing. And to me, it was very, very important that all of our elected officials knew the challenges that our small businesses were facing. Very successful. Now, with the legislation being introduced by the city council that's responding to the pandemic, going forward, what do you think about this? And what's that going to mean for Queens? So before COVID and now with COVID, the city was pivoting towards a uh, not a very supportive uh, posture uh, towards small businesses or businesses of any kind. I look at it as they looked at some of those large businesses as cash cows, um, continuing to add burden to owning, running, and operating a small business. Now in the age of COVID and soon to be post-COVID, the fact that they're even considering more legislation to make life and business more difficult for these people is unconscionable. Um, they should be finding ways and talking to small businesses about what they need to help be unshackled and not harnessed 
and be able to grow and prosper. So again, I find it remarkable that they didn't even think about more legislation, um, but we're fighting it tooth and nail along with a large number of other organizations in New York City. And I know that another issue that you've been very outspoken on is cuts coming to the Summer Youth Employment Program. With everything going on right now, why is it so important to keep that going? So there's a couple of reasons. I, I try to be very, very nuts and bolts about about my comments in a very, very ground-level kind of way because our chamber works on a, on a hand-to-hand, in-person manner all the time. Um, but if you add 70,000 kids between the age of 14 and 24, young adults, you know, teenagers, you add into that beaches and pools potentially closed all summer and you add in any kind of heat wave, I I perish the thought to think about what could happen in our city. It's also important to know that those kids and the compensation they get, they normally get about 100 hours a summer at $15 an hour, roughly, um, is not necessarily for them to go out and buy a convertible, right? These These are inner city kids, and I know for sure that a number of them, the money they make goes back to their core family. The Chamber's been lucky and blessed enough to host over the last three to four summers, five or six kids every summer. They are wonderful. They're looking for opportunities. They're looking to build their resume and they're looking for experience. I can't imagine those kids not having a job to help support themselves, but also their families. Tom, before I let you go, and once again, thank you for coming on AM Rush, talking about everything going on in Queens. I wanted to tell you, going back to what you were saying about the website Queens Best, I actually got to cover that. We wrote a piece about that talking about Queens and and ways to have gift cards for restaurants and supporting local eateries. And before all this crazy stuff happened, I was really doing a lot of food coverage and a lot of food reporting. And I have to say... Queens is one of my favorite places to eat. The food there is, oh man, it's it's like nothing else. It really is. It's it's incredible, and I'm very eager, very ambitious that when all of this is over, to continue that coverage and make sure that restaurants in the world's borough are being known to the public because they certainly deserve to be. I appreciate that, and I want to make it a point that to thank you for that coverage. I also want to mention, if I can, for the record, um, I was asked, I was humbled to be asked by Mayor de Blasio to be on his small business uh, reinvention committee to get things back up and running. And one of the things that's most important throughout the city of New York are our restaurants. And so we're trying to find creative ways, in some cases, the easing of some rules about outside cafes, easing of some rules about having um, your tables out into the street potentially, and then working really hard to making sure that both the patrons and the staff are safe. It'd be the right thing to do, and I will certainly keep up with this. I'll be continuing my coverage on restaurants as much as I can, and I can't wait until I can go back out to Bell Boulevard or back on Dittmar's in Astoria. Oh, this stuff is so great over there. When, you, when you're ready, um, the first the first meal will be my treat. So let's make it a point to get out there. That sounds great and definitely not a conflict of interest. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Alex. Take Absolutely. care. Take care, Tom. And that was AM Rush. Tomorrow we'll be speaking with Beth Goldberg of the U.S. Small Business Administration. She's going to talk about what 
resources small businesses are going to have coming out of this in the next couple of weeks. This is AM Rush. Stay tough out there, New York. It's been a challenge, but we're moving and we're going. Just remember, be safe. Wash your hands.